You're a believer. Yeah. You are. Maybe I am. I just did. I just convert. Man of the year, man of the year. Welcome to the number one friendship podcast in the country. I'm Matt Ritter. I'm Aaron Cairo. Cairo, I've always felt <laughs> we have a little bit of a bridge between us. I'm, I'm already laughing, I know, because you got a, you got a real mischievous look yeah, on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always been like, I wish Cairo had a little more faith. Oh. Yeah, he's like a little cynic. You know, you never cut, you never, you never take my temple invite. So today, I decided there's no way out. <laughs> I decided, you know, our friendship. We have we have a great friendship, and I think a lot of friendships, you know, people don't really talk about religion or faith. And I, I think it's important. It's an important part of everybody's life on some level, to some degree. Yeah. Even ye of little faith mm-hmm, over here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I said to myself, what if I bring one of the wisest people that I know? One of the wisest people in LA, or maybe the world, uh, my rabbi, the rabbi of one of the biggest temples, one of the oldest temples in LA, Wilshire Temple, very famous. Yeah. And uh, a spiritual leader, a guy who is a successful author, has written about grief and just relationships. It just felt like he would have a good handle on friendship, and he does. Um, you want to hear a funny story? Sure. So, you know that I'm Jewish, but I'm definitely more secular. Yeah. And uh, I have my moments where I'm just like, I hate all the trappings. Mm. So I officiated your wedding. Yeah. It's a Jewish wedding. Ketubah, glass break, all that stuff. And uh, you, uh, you, you were wearing a yarmulke, the head covering. And you gave me a yarmulke because I was officiating you. And I go, I'm not wearing this. Oh, and yeah. I, and I put it in my pocket. Yeah. This, <laughs> the disrespect. <laughs> but you know I what? I have been angrier. But you know what? There's no video proof. No, damn it. Uh, don't even get me riled up about that videographer from hell. <sighs> anyway, so we have Rabbi Stephen Leader. We did an incredible interview covering his own friendships yeah. or friendship issues, you yeah. could say, uh, which I thought was super fascinating. So let's just get into it. Let's do it. Rabbi Leader, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, both of you guys. You know, first off, I just don't even know what to call you. Like, is it, what, 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 you're not in Temple. Like, outside of Temple, do people just call you Rabbi or, or Steve? Or I don't, I don't want to disrespect the Rabbi. Uh, there's no disrespect possible. And people are kind of weird. Some people, it's always Rabbi Leader. Sometimes it's Rabbi Steve. Sometimes it's Steve. Um, usually in podcasts, it starts out Rabbi Steve Leader, and then it ends up Steve by the time we're halfway through. So I think we should just cut to the chase and go with Steve. All right, Steve. So then I got to ask, like, what is your friend circle? Because in my mind, it could be that you have a friend circle like everybody else, or it could just be a bunch of rabbis smoking cigars and, you know, pondering the, you know, the universe. It is definitely not that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have never since the since my first day of rabbinical school, I have not spent a lot of time hanging out with other rabbis. Um, it's just not my crew. And, and even professionally, my role is so different than most rabbis that, ah, you know, we have problems, but my problems and their problems are not the same problems. And um, I've been to one rabbinical convention in 37 years. And that's that's just me. I'm I'm not so much aloof as I am incredibly busy. And uh, but I've never 
sought much in the way of friendship or collegiality from other rabbis, partly because I work with, you know, five or six other rabbis and three cantors. So I have my own kind of built-in peer group, but also, um, you know, it's sort of the same thing in my marriage. I didn't want to marry a female version of myself, you know, so I don't hang with a lot of rabbis. Uh, and I really have very few, if any, close friends. Um, now, this is complicated, and we're going to get into my sorry-ass life, but you asked. Um, when you have a role like mine that transcends office hours or location, and pretty much everyone I know since I've been in my congregation for 37 years, almost all of my relationships overlap with my role as a rabbi. Even my, um, what I would say, closest friends, they still relate to me also as their rabbi. And I relate to them as a member of my congregation. So it's a tricky thing um, to ask about my inner friendship circle. It's, it's really my wife and my kids uh, because pretty much no one else can get over the role and just treat me like a regular person. That's really interesting. Because what about I, the friends yeah. you had before you became a rabbi? Well, there aren't many, and even they now relate to the rabbi part of the persona. Uh, it's just inescapable, and it's kind of a weird... When you're a rabbi or any clergy person, you're not a person. You are a symbolic exemplar, and you, you play a role in people's minds. They project onto you, and you play a role in people's minds that, frankly, they need you and want you to play. And I've learned to be gracious about that instead of bitter and resentful about it. But it does create separation in a way between me and, and whoever that other person is, when you're not just a person, but also a symbol of something, an, exempl an exemplar, you can't really have regular, normal relationships. It's funny because we were gonna come at it from the opposite. We actually thought, and maybe a lot of people think this way, we were like, oh, I wonder if there's a rabbi congregant sort of boundary that you set. I, 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 we kind of were assuming that you would be the one who wouldn't wanna cross that line with your uh, congregants. And now I'm wondering if maybe it's just sort of this like thing where everybody kind of thinks that, hey, they can't really be friends with the rabbi too. I think it's a little of both. Honestly, it's more on the, I'm more of the, uh, on the receiving side of that weirdness, but they're clearly things I don't say or do because of my role that might be limiting friendships. But Honestly, I think that men's friendships, well, let me back up. The first article I ever wrote that I got paid for was for Playboy magazine. And it was a column that the magazine had called Man Track. And it was actually an excellent column about men, men's issues. And I wrote for them because they heard about this group I started at, at Wilshire Boulevard Temple called 100 Jewish Men. I started a men's group. And I took 100 guys in the first year, 100 the second, 100 the third. 
And we dealt with really serious men's issues. And one of the things that became clear to me was that men, men don't have these whole juicy, organic, full friendships like women. Men have what I call task-specific friendships. There's your poker buddies. There's your work buddy. There's your podcast buddy. There's your tennis buddy. But those roles are very rigidly defined and they almost never transcend the role to become more whole and organic. You know, my wife, when the kids were little, she'd go to the park, she'd come home with a new best friend. And they knew everything. They knew about their hemorrhoids. They knew about the everything. And, you know, they would call each other about what they were going to do. Then they'd do it. Then they call each other to talk about what they did. And men aren't really programmed that way. And even our friendships, if you think about it, okay, well, we go to the game. Well, think about how, how you're sitting with your friend at a game. It's side by side. You're not looking at each other. And these are, these are subtle but important differences. So I wrote this article called God's Loneliest Creatures. And it, it had to do with what I'd learned, what I had learned about men through this 100 Jewish men program. Uh, and it still holds. You know, you ask most guys, who's your best friend? And they'll give you the name of two guys who live in a different city that they see once a year. And those are their best friends. So I just want to talk a little bit about what, you, what you've learned from, from the men's group and working with men. Like me and Matt, we're trying to get men to be more intentional about their friendships, um, to realize the importance of friendship. You know, you talk a lot about about living a meaningful life like how can we how can we change how men have been socialized to get them to realize how important these friendships are well i think i think we need an artificial device or construct like the one i honestly the one i created that ran for 15 years very successfully we need structure to do that and we also need to avoid falling into the kinds of things men tend to think about and talk about when they're together. You know, the old idea of a men's group was bowling or poker or whatever, and we'll talk about sports and we'll talk about, you know, women and, you know, whatever. But we actually need to be taught how to have these larger, juicier, more organic friendships because we're not socialized that way we're socialized to go it alone for most of us one of the interesting things about this hundred jewish men group was that there were three generations in the group there were 25 year olds 50 year olds and 80 year olds so you had three generations of men in the room and this was very powerful for the younger men because for most younger men the only older men in their lives are their father or their boss and you can't have a real conversation with your father or your boss. And so it was an opportunity to get to know older men who were, for lack of a better word, neutral, safe. And it was also an opportunity for older men who are befuddled by their millennial children to ask questions of younger men who are not their sons. And it was a very fruitful, powerful thing but it did require a kind of artificial construct to make it happen. And I'm okay with that. I, I, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, you, you wrote a book about grief 
at losing your dad. I lost my dad last year and it really affected me like a lot more than I ever thought it would, I suppose. And it's like an ongoing oh, yeah. thing. And I, and I, but I also realized, you know, and we talk about this a lot on the pod, it's made me more vulnerable. It made me realize that I, I needed my friends and I wasn't okay. And so how do you think maybe sort of you could potentially use tragedy and grief as a springboard to improve your friendships? Well, it's the only springboard, first of all. Pain is the only teacher. There is no other teacher. Disruption is the only uh, generative thing in life. You know, one of my favorite sayings is by Marshall McLuhan, who said, I don't know who discovered water, but it wasn't the fish. A fish is born in water, lives in water, dies in water, and therefore the fish is the one schmuck that doesn't know it's in water, right? When does a fish discover water? When they're out, out of When it. it's jerked out of the water, <laughs> wriggling at the end of a hook, gasping and flailing for oxygen, that's when a fish discovers water. That's when a fish grows up. That's when a fish learns gratitude. That, so it's these disruptive punctures, the things that puncture our equilibrium. Those are the things that enable us to grow. And, and they are, without exception, painful. And I'm not, I'm not telling you the pain is worth the growth. I'm just telling you, don't let it be worthless. Like you'd have your dad back in a minute, Matt, right? And give up everything you've learned in the aftermath of his death. But you don't have that opportunity. You can't have a better past. You can only use the past to have a better future and a more beautiful future. So I, I think the point is, if you ha I say this all the time, if you have to go through hell, don't come out empty handed. That's the point. And you're not coming out empty handed. And it is only pain that cracks us open. You know, in this weird sort of way, can I get sort of like Jewy on you for a second? Absolutely, Please. we're gonna get into ah, new stuff okay. right after this. So it's so, a good transition. All right, okay. So there's this very interesting line in the, in the Bible that says God puts God's words upon our hearts. And the sages, they ask this very interesting question, like why upon our hearts and not in our hearts? If God has the power to put words upon our hearts, why doesn't God just put, him, put those words in our hearts? And the answer they give is, is just so powerful and profound and beautiful. What they say is God places God's words upon our hearts. And it isn't until our hearts are broken that the words can enter. Hmm. Which to me is this beautiful duality, which essentially posits that in a way we're more whole when we're broken. There's a dimension to life that can be experienced only through that prism of pain. I mean, what does success really teach us? Nothing. So I, I agree with you, Matt, that it's, it's not just a springboard, it's the only springboard to another level of enlightenment or, or gratitude or spirituality. You fill in the word. We want to talk about being Jewish and 
our, you know, we were talking before we started uh, on the pod that we're from Long Island. We lived in New York before that. And now we live in L.A. Basically existing in a Jewish bubble that doesn't really exist in the quote unquote right. real world outside of here. And I guess my question is, you know, in terms of relationships and friendships, you know, are we perpetuating sort of a shelter existence like the fish in the water? You know, and is that healthy? You know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think like, you know, should I not just be living in this world that I've been inhabiting my whole life? I personally think that being proud of who and what you are and celebrating differences is important. Uh, I don't know, like what I'm about to tell you is not true of my kids, but it's true of many of their friends. Somehow they were raised by my generation of Jewish parents to believe that differences are bad. We're all one. Everything's okay. Everything's cool. You know, everybody's the same. Well, everybody is important and of equal importance, but everyone is not the same. What a horrible world that would be. So I, I prefer a mosaic to a melting pot, you know? I prefer a tossed, uh, you know, pasta to a smoothie. You know, I like, I like ingredients that, that stand up for themselves and speak for themselves and make the world a more interesting place. Uh, and I like people who are proud of their differences. Look, I grew up in Minnesota in a, in a, a suburb, first ring of suburbs outside of Minneapolis called St. Louis Park. It was affectionately referred to as St. Jewish Park. Because despite the fact that we were in the middle of very white, very Lutheran and Swedish Norwegian Minnesota, our little suburb, my high school, public high school, was probably 70% Jewish. I walked to the school bus as a little kid with 100 Jewish kids just on my street. So I grew up in that bubble and I like it. And what's wrong with loving your tribe? I don't, you know, I don't see the problem in that. Uh, I see, and, and by the way, in terms of creating these friendships, you ask like, how do we help men? What I, what I would like to find is some modern version of the minion. Do you know that traditional Jews every morning and every afternoon hung out with the same 9, 10, 11, 12, 15 guys every day? They knew when one of them was missing. They knew when they were sick. They knew when their kid was getting married. They knew everything. And, and they, they were a, you know, they were a team. Um, I, ha I have a Jew question I've been dying to ask a rabbi. I'm your um, man. Okay. So in Passover, why didn't God just kill Pharaoh and eliminate the middleman? He's letting little Egyptian babies die. It just seems like a whole waste of time. Okay. <laughs> so let's start with the fact that the, the Bible is not a book of facts. It's a book of truths. Right? Is it a, I'll give you a simple example. Is it a fact that Noah got all two male and female of every species on the planet, put them on a boat, 
kept him alive while it poured for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the water had to recede and the earth regenerated and then the earth was repopped. No, that's not a fact. But is it true that we are responsible for the creatures on this planet? All of them? Yes. So we often dismiss the Bible because, well, that's not how God didn't create. The world wasn't created in six days. That's bullshit. You know, that's not a fact. No, it's not a fact. It's a truth. So, you know, we use this word myth as it's as if it's synonymous with a lie. A myth is not a lie. A myth is a way of describing a truth, a way of describing something about the human experience. So now let's go to your question. Why was this myth um, constructed in the in that way? Well, I think the reason it didn't go right to just killing Pharaoh is that it's also a lesson about what happens when a leader doesn't care about the suffering of his or her own people? When did Pharaoh care? Only the 10th plague, which was the death of the firstborn, because that affected Pharaoh directly. Before that, he didn't give a shit. And that's ultimately those people end up drowning in their own indifference. That's where Putin's headed. That's where Hitler went. That's where Mussolini went. It's a myth meant to teach us something about the difference between leading for the sake of your people or leading for your own narcissism. I'm going to use all this without uh, attribution at the next Seder to win the day. (laughs) Yeah, well, you won't be be the first or the last. (laughs) I I did have another sort of religion and friendship question, which is, so I'm pretty secular Jew, as I'm sure you could infer. Uh, And so when I meet someone, you know, if I meet a woman or if I meet a guy and they're, 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 they're believers, they're church going, they're synagogue going. I'm like, oh, I'm very quick to discount. I'm like, I can't, I can't even fucking deal with this right now. Like, um, what, what do you, <laughs> how, how can you teach us to be more accepting of the, of the believers when, I don't know, I'm just kind of like, it seems like a little bit of nonsense. So let's play a game. It's not a game at all, but you're not the first person to say like, I'm a secular Jew or I'm Jewish, but I don't believe in God. Okay. so. You're a secular Jew, and I'm guessing that has to do with something with God as well. Like, you're not really down with that, right? I don't believe in God, okay? Right. Fine. Aaron, what do you believe in? Uh, I believe in uh, being a good person, kindness, and uh, being there for your buddies. Okay. The human connection. That's a very deep spiritual thought. That's a deep spiritual underpinning. And for many, like when I say God, I mean everything you just said. What does it mean in the Bible when it says man is created in the image of God? It means that we can show up for each other. We can comfort each other. We can take care of each other. We can love each other. We can be kind. What I find is that when people tell me, well, I'm a good, I'm a spiritual person, but, or I'm a secular Jew, but I don't believe in God, and I ask what they do believe in, they always give me a very deep theological response. So my hunch is 
that what you're really uncomfortable with is not the idea of God, your idea of God. What you are uncomfortable with, which most Jews are, is that when we talk about God in English, using English, we feel like we sound like evangelical Christians with whom we do not agree because they have monopolized God talk in America. So it makes it, it, it's lumping ourselves with a bunch of people we don't agree with when we use the word in English. So look, I don't care if you call this an espresso cup or a cup or a mug or a container or a vessel. I don't care what words you use. We're, we're talking about the same thing. And we really have, therefore, most of us, not a theological objection. There's not a person on the planet who thinks he or she made the sunrise this morning. We all know there's something bigger than us at work. That's obvious. So what we have really is not a theological problem, but a psycholinguistic problem. You're a believer. Yeah. You are. Maybe I am. I just did. I just convert. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, Kira, by the You're way, went to Israel twice. And the, I, I find it funny because Kira, very non-believer, but then he's been to Israel twice in the in the past couple of years, and I, I feel like we're roping we're roping him in. We're pulling him. We're pulling him closer. Well, people, God, peoplehood is your thing, right? By the way, it's the human connection. Martin Buber, okay, who wrote a book called I and Thou. His whole Jewish theological point of view is that when you and I, Aaron, are having a real relationship, like we're really seeing the humanity in the other, when I'm treating you like a thou and not an it, we are at one and the same time having a connection with the divine. That we can have that through these horizontal connections, we're also having a vertical connection. By the way, what do you think the cross is a symbol of? It's the combining of the vertical and the horizontal, the earthly and the heavenly. What do you think a Jewish star symbolizes? One triangle pointing down, overlaid on one pointing up. It's this coming together of the worldly and the divine. And that's what you feel in peoplehood. It's very didn't know spiritually... I had no idea about either of those. I had no idea that of what of what either of those symbols meant. That's amazing. I I um I want to before we before we go. I want to go back to the beginning because I felt a tinge of sadness. I don't want to say I feel sad for you because you have a great life, but just from our perspective of the podcast, I felt a bit of sadness in you saying that you don't have any real friendships. I want to ask or maybe challenge you because we, we actually do a fun thing on the pod where we kind of do friend setups, right? So Rabbi Leader, who's now retiring, so now he has this barrier that he's built up or that other people have built up. That's gone now. That's down, right? So now we just have Steve Leader. What is Steve Leader's? Uh, you're still a rabbi. You're never going to not be a rabbi, but what is Steve Leader? I feel like you're going to want a friend. So what does that friendship look like for you now that the temple is you know, not going to be the sort of, you know, just the only thing that, you know, kind of guides your, all of your relationships in this world. And maybe you'll be able to sort of overcome that, you know, large practical obstacle that was in the way. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. But I look forward to finding out. And I am 
you know, when I really fully retire, my side hustle will become my main hustle. And my side hustle, frankly, is not in a Jewish context at all. You know, I write books, I go, I do a lot of media and news stuff, and, and I write a lot of articles and social media. And most of it is not with Jews. So that world, that media world, authors, those, it's a whole world of new and interesting people that I really look forward to being more and more a part of because it's interesting and it's outside my wheelhouse. I, I mean, the writer strike has caused a pause in this, but I'm um, a creative consultant for a Netflix show and I'm the oldest person in the writer's room by 20 or 25 years. And it's great. It's, it's so interesting to me. So I'm looking forward to being more and more a part of uh, that outer world without it for a moment being anything other than who I am. I'm a very proud and open and thoroughly Jewish Jew. But um, I also, it's just refreshing to be making connections and creating relationships outside of that world. There's a big world out there full of lots of interesting, creative, smart people. So we're going to be trying to stay. Yeah, we'll get Rabbi you comfortable. Leader. That's that's what's going to happen, Carrie. We're going to be trying to stay <laughs> on Rabbi Leader's show. That's 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 what's happening. Matt, do you have uh, anything else? You you want to be my friends when I retire? Yes, okay. yes. Be good. We never realize it now, but our friend group probably could use. A rabbi. <laughs> that's that's not the role I want to play, right? Yeah, I know, I know. Well, no, I just wise want to man, be a dude. You know, wise man. You are. You want. He just wants to be the party animal. Fine. Okay. We just need a. He just wants to be the, the party guy. Now, you know something? No? You guys don't. You guys don't know this about me, but um, yeah. I grew up in Minnesota, and I didn't come from this LA scene. I've learned how to, you know, navigate it pretty well, but. I have a little uh, cabin in Joshua Tree in the middle of nowhere and a pickup truck. And I'm very happy there. I would just like to shed the role that comes with my life. I'd like to shed that role sometimes. Like people there not only know, don't know who I am, they don't even know what I am. And I find that incredibly refreshing. So as long as you guys don't treat me like the rabbi, we can be friends. I was actually just thinking he's got a cabin in Joshua Tree. So that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> now you want to be my friend. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, no, I think I would be, I could get very familiar as Matt knows very fast. So if the rabbi thing would be out the window in a heartbeat. And also you're not my oh, rabbi, so. Good to know. I'm not your rabbi. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, listen, R Rabbi Leader, you don't know this, but I've invited him to Passover. Like, what was it? Passover? No, what is it? Temple services. 25 years in a row? And 25 yeah. years in a row, he says no. Pass. But he said he, st he still Pass. appreciates the invite. I still invite him every year. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You should come this year because it's my last as the senior rabbi. So I'm bringing the high heat, bro. <laughs> Carol, Carol, you're not no, going to want to ever this. think of you as a rabbi. 
Cairo, this is like okay. Billy Joel. This is like Billy Joel's last concert at the Garden. This is this is like Billy Joel's last concert at the Garden. I do want to say one thing to you in all seriousness, because we're kind of joking around. That article that I wrote all those years ago called God's Loneliest Creatures, I think it's still true of most men. And what you guys are doing is really, really important. Keep it up. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I'm converted. You're in. I'm a convert. I'm a Jew now. What did, what did we learn today? Seriously. Well, I thought it was just interesting the way he thinks about religion. Mm-hmm. Also, just let's talk about rabbis in general, being a rabbi. Do you think it's kind of like being a podcaster in oh, that? Man. Like, there's pretty much at this point no question about friendship we haven't gotten. Yeah. Like, you can't stump him. No, you can't. You tried. I tried. I failed miserably. I failed miserably. Not only that, I actually think not only did you did you fail, but he also immediately proved his mettle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were like, oh, he's he's the real deal. Right. I mean, he has been doing it for, for 40 years. I know. But that was, I, first of all, what I learned, I love that whole part about myth. Myth isn't a lie. Myth is just a way of presenting the truth. Like that whole thing that he just talked about with... We know they didn't go on Noah's Ark, like right. two of each animals, but we do know that humans are responsible for all creatures in this world. And to your point and to his point, if you're friends with someone from a different religion or someone without religion, it's all the same. You're all, he, he, I think he- He called you right out when he said, what are your values? Right, right, right. And did that, did that hit you in any way of like, oh yeah, like maybe these people who I consider super religious really just have a different way of expressing- their values, but the values are pretty similar. Or do you not agree with that? I do, and I think it was very interesting. But like, I don't know, does it seem a little, what's the word, facile? facile? Yeah, yeah. Because facile? facile? I, I did, look, look I mean, that F-A-C-I-L-E. I, I don't think you're suddenly now going to go out and become friends with super religious people. Right. Because I think part of like our friend group and like the way you form friends is that you have... Um, similar language and shorthand about right, things. Right, right, right. And so even though you may have some core values with a lot of different people, the reason you choose your sort of inner tribe is that you are into, you right. know, whatever, the same movies, whatever, even like more, you know, some things that are surface. Because like hopefully on some level, we all kind of have the same, you know, quote unquote, like core values of family and kindness, yeah. et cetera. Can we talk about how he was like, I don't have any friends? Man. It's gotta be tough. Lonely at the top. Lonely. But he was sort of saying, I am in a, such a lofty position that it's my responsibility. I've given up friends. Right, right, right. And I was kind of like, oh, it's not, you need friends because you're, you're, you're a better rabbi, you'd be a better president, better celebrity. Right. You need buddies. Right, I know. Nobody so, doesn't need friends. He almost reminded me of Kobe Bryant. You know, oh, Kobe yeah. had no friends. Yeah, because he's going to be distracted. Right, like a lot of these guys, these high performers or whatever you want to call it, the people that are top of their craft. And like part of me sometimes is like, okay, maybe there is something to that. <laughs> maybe you I should uh, jettison K-Rail. Yeah, like, yeah. I could just jettison yeah. K-Rail. Like yeah. this anchor around my neck. Yeah. This 135 <laughs> pound, five foot three boulder. Oh, God. I <laughs> wish those were my numbers. I wish. <laughs> Yeah. No, I know, but I do think all of us, right, when we see these people that are, you know, the top of their, the peak, the pinnacle of their profession, and they're just friendless, and you're like, what is that? Yeah. I just think his definition of 
friends is different. He's setting a very high bar for what like a true, yeah, you know, like loyal compadre, like what we have. He doesn't have what we have. Yeah, yeah. You know? We really should. Is he moving? No. Okay. Should we become friends with him? Absolutely. Where does he fit in yeah, our entourage? Yeah, I know, because he was like, I don't want to be the rabbi of the group. <laughs> <laughs> that's I was true. like, that's kind of like your role. Like, you're not going to be the wise one. Like, are you telling me we're not going to get to go to you for counsel? So and he wants like, to what is your role, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're not going to be the Vegas guy, are you? <laughs> <laughs> what does he oh, want? This like, guy can yeah. get, this guy can get poppers. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird, what a weird. Uh, it is, it is funny. A rabbi, he's like, listen. Don't treat me like a yeah. rabbi. What do you yeah. want me to treat you like? Yeah. What do you want me to treat you like? Oh God, I think he would like you and he would hate me because I would push it too far. I'd be like, listen, you want, you want to be a rabbi? Like, no, but he seems pretty cool. You know, also. I mean, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. I mean, don't we kind of hate him now? Because? Because he got staffed on a Netflix show. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, he's yeah, he's, he, he's, he's working on a Netflix show. I don't have a Netflix show. Oh, God. Only in L.A., guys. If you want to know what L.A. is like, your rabbi gets staffed before you. Yeah, your rabbi. On a major Netflix show, and you're just you killed to get into that room. <laughs> Forgot about that. Forgot about that? Yeah. I've been ruining that yeah. ever since. I love that. Listen, thank you, Rabbi. I hope one day when you have a Netflix show, you can hire us. Yeah, and let's shout to all the clergy out there. Yeah, the cler- listen, I would actually like to hear from clergy. Um, do you agree? If we have any clergy fans, do you share that assessment that is hard to be friends with your community or just have friends in general? Because he chose not to be friends with other rabbis. I'm wondering if clergy are friends with other clergy. Yeah, we want to be, we want to hear from nuns. We want to hear from ministers, rabbis, imams. Yeah, imams. imams. Iman was the, is the model. Iman, Iman married David Bowie. I do want to hear yeah. from I would I, love to hear from Iman. Is it, Iman. I, is it Iman? Iman. Are you sure? I want to hear from imams and Iman. Theo, you're going to look that yeah, up? you look that up. Um, I-M-A-N. Yeah. Pronunciation. All he does is pronunciation Yeah, now. yeah. Mostly pronun- pronunciation with Thelonious. This is his moment. So for the Iman Iman, it's Iman. Okay, you Curveball, were cl- Iman. Iman, not Iman. 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 You were closer. Well, and she was married to David Bowie? That, that's true. That's, a, that's, that's very true. famous, yeah. And then additionally, we have Fossil. No. I don't think Theo knows how to read the little no, pronunciation. No, F-A-C-I- Fossil. Fossil. F-A-C-I-L-E. Yeah. Fossil. Fossil. Yeah, he's wrong. He doesn't know. Jesus Aaron's got Christ. it. He's got it. So now we have to correct the corrections. Correct correct Sweet Jesus. All right. That's our show, guys. Thank you so much. Remember, be good to yourself. Be good to your friends. Love, Love you, buddy. buddy.